This episode is sponsored by Minima.Global and Circle. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to The Hash. Beautiful Wednesday morning. I got Adam B. Levine and Wendy O. joining me today to talk about what's happening on the crypto beat out there. We're going to start off with some depressing news. Layoffs coming to town. We saw layoffs in the spring and the summer, and now we have our first set of stories for the fall for some technology layoffs hitting the crypto sector. DCG, the parent company of Coindesk, laid off approximately 12% of its staff or 13% of its staff, rather, yesterday, cutting down about 10 jobs. And then we've also found out that BitMEX has cut off reportedly 30% of jobs. That number is still being accurately defined at this point. And then Mike Novogratz's Galaxy Digital laid off about 20% of its staff yesterday as well. What we're seeing here is just kind of following the general tech sector, right? There's been a boom, and now there's a bust. We're going to see like a little bloodletting on the streets, which is unfortunate, but it is typically how these cycles go. We see the peak we have trough and then people lose their jobs in between. Now it's building season. Adam, I'll throw this one over to you. I wouldn't say this is necessarily unexpected. All the companies we just listed there are larger. They typically grow a lot during the bull cycle and they have to downscale during the bear cycle just because they hire too much. They have too much inbound activity during the bull market. And now that activity is no longer there. But over to you. Yeah. I mean, I think that you've kind of nailed it right there. It's kind of a moment to reflect for these companies, right? where they are like, all right, well, who's actually important? Who's actually the people who, you know, we really need to do our core business? And who did we perhaps overhire because we thought that things might be better for longer, which was a right decision at that point. But today, obviously, is something that they've now changed their mind on. You know, it's not fun to be in a position where you are the one who's getting cut, but just that's the reality of kind of these cycles. And it's also worth noting that most of the companies that you mentioned there, if not all of them, uh, you know, really are kind of on the investment side of things, right? So they're like, they're managing investments. Like a lot of these players are making fewer investments. And they're, you know, again, looking at these things very, very critically because the market doesn't really support the high valuations that they might've paid for stuff, you know, a year or two years ago at this point. So I think that, again, it's, it's sad for people who are, you know, affected by this. They'll probably be fine and we wish them the best of luck. But Wendy, what do you think? I don't like layoffs at all. Any way, shape or form, it bothers me. But at the same time, these big companies are running a business, so I understand that they have to do layoffs in order to stay afloat. One thing I do think is interesting is that we are seeing a lot of this happening in tech, and we're also seeing this happen across the board in America. I know in America, everybody's like, okay, jobs are increasing, there's jobs, people are going back to work, et cetera. I personally don't believe those numbers. I don't necessarily like statistical data too much because there's a whole lot of outliers. There's a lot of data that they don't include that are very, very important. So it's interesting to see that this kind of segues with what's happening in the economy in the U.S. I'm not sure if this is partially because, well, it sounds like it's partially due to bear market. It's also partially due to Three Arrows Capital, the collapse of Terra Luna. That's my personal opinion. And I also think it's due to just the recession happening in the United States. People aren't are having to fork out extra cash to be able to pay for real estate, to pay for their bills, to be able to pay for food, etc., And that impacts these large companies as well, even if they are in the investing area or if they're in crypto, maybe even if they're not operating in the US because right now the US dollar is still queen. However, 
that might not be the case in the coming years. Yeah, so we have three headlines here, but I think we actually have two stories. DCG and uh, Galaxy Digital, very large firms, just like you said, Adam, and they're on the financial side of things, financial management, trading, that sort of thing. It's, it makes sense that they did lay off some of their staff because they're so large. They have to handle so many inbound requests. They have to manage all these accounts, and they're trying to sort of set themselves up to be these you know, hedge funds for crypto. The one outlier I would say here, it's the other story is BitMEX. BitMEX has been a legacy exchange within crypto, notably for its derivatives products. And in 2019, 2020, they faced a lot of headwinds with Arthur Hayes stepping down as his role as CEO. He's the founder of BitMEX. And he was then later fined by the US Treasury for uh, breaking the Bank Secrecy Act. And he had to serve at least like a 12-month moratorium. And I think pay a pretty hefty fine on top of that. BitMEX had to do some soul searching afterwards. They hired a new CEO. They tried to offer new products, including spot trading on their exchange. And frankly, it just never took off. What people went to BitMEX for was for that derivatives product. They wanted that, that frankly, a bleeding edge product that no one else on the market could offer. They didn't really want another Coinbase. They didn't just want to spot trade tokens. So we saw a lot of the liquidity on BitMEX dry up. And now we know that that CEO who stepped in after Arthur Hayes stepped down is out the door. And this restructuring for BitMEX comes in the wake of that. We still don't know the extent of uh, the layoffs at BitMEX, but what we do know is that BitMEX has a little work ahead of it to get itself back into the pack with the top 10 exchanges out there. If it wants to be back in, it really needs to focus on this derivatives product. And that looks like what they're going to do. But Adam, I want to get your take on this. BitMEX has played such a pivotal role within crypto over the last 10 years. I would be keen to get some of your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think that you've nailed it right there, which is that BitMEX was and perhaps still is in many ways, largely because of kind of Arthur Hayes' kind of thought leadership role, which he really does carry forward with his blog, even though he's no longer formally associated in the way that he once was with the exchange. Um, you know, but if you look at kind of the history of exchanges in the world of cryptocurrency, you know, they tend to have their moment in the sun and then that tends to tends to go away, right? You can go back through kind of the history and it's really coin, you know, companies like Coinbase. Companies like Bitfinex, to a certain extent, they're outliers. They're ones that have survived all of the incredible attrition that falls on companies uh, just who are operating in this space, especially you know in in places where the rules aren't well defined, and that's a really uncomfortable place to be. So I mean, like Bitfinex on the one side, you know, just stays out of the United States, but it still has problems with the United States. Coinbase on the other side deals with the rules of the United States, and that's really helped uh, hurt its growth. Um, you know, in ways that have allowed, uh, you know, more recent upstarts like uh, like Binance to kind of overtake it. Uh, BitMEX, their big problem was both the legal side of things. And then in my opinion, the reduction of the uh, of the leverage that they were offering, because there were there was a long time where people would go there for 100x leverage effectively. And I'm not an expert on any, on any of this stuff as far as BitMEX. I've never actually traded on it. But that was kind of what they were notorious for for a very long time. And that level of leverage means that they really did move markets. So they were important because you could really amplify kind of what it was that you were able to bring with the money that you actually had in your pocket. Uh, there's more to say here, but Wendy, I'll kick it to you. I kind of want to close out like if you weren't liquidated on BitMEX, do you even crypto at all? <laughs> but, but one of the all jokes aside, please don't use high leverage. Please don't use leverage unless you know exactly what you're doing and you've back tested, et cetera. Um, but anyways, I do think it, it is interesting that BitMEX stayed with this whole leverage product for so long. And there was brand new exchanges that came in, I believe, like 2017, 2018, like Binance that just said, okay, these are great products, but we want to look, we want to be um, kind of in combination with like a Coinbase 
and a Bitmex. And they started offering all of these really, really great products. And whoever was marketing or doing product development was just able to hone in on the market and create something that encompassed everything. So it's no wonder why people were leaving BitMEX to utilize Binance or any other of these platforms. So I think it's interesting. And it's also important to know your user base and to know your customers. If you don't have good customer service and you're not paying attention, you probably will not survive much longer. Well, we'll wrap that story up. We wish the best to everyone who had the unfortunate news this morning. But we'll move over next to the Ethereum ecosystem, which is already looking forward to its next development after the merge, which occurred about eight weeks ago now. Adam? That's right. Yeah. So since the merge was completed, although there's no timeline yet on when this will happen, we do know what's expected in its next major upgrade. Notably, the Shanghai upgrade, as it's known, is going to let folks withdraw Ether that they've committed to the consensus system or earned as a reward for their participation in it to their wallets for the very first time since the proof of stake system started public testing more than a year ago. So it's actually kind of an interesting one from a dynamic standpoint because it could be unlocking a decent amount of supply that's been tied up there and also some rewards that have been earned. So although that headline withdrawal feature is the one that we know about, there are actually a number of other developer-focused initiatives that are being considered for inclusion. We don't know when this thing's going to happen. We don't know exactly what's going to be in it. But that one feature on the withdrawal, that could wind up being important. Given how, I think the, the other thing to note here is that given kind of how much kind of time and energy and to a certain extent, like drama and anticipation came around the merge, this next upgrade seems like it's going to be significantly more boring in, in a very positive way, I think. Will, I'll kick this one to you to start us off. Yeah, I love what you said there. We don't know when this is going to happen, but it's really important. I think that sums up a lot of the Ethereum <laughs> ecosystem and things they're working on. Uh, it's a huge network. There's trillions of dollars used on top of it. And it's moving stable coins, flipping NFTs, flipping DeFi tokens. People want it and they want it to be better. And that's what some of these upgrades do. Proto-Dank sharding is one of the inclusions for this uh, this name. next upgrade, possibly, which is, yes, one of the greatest names ever for any sort of techno uh, widget out there. Proto-Dank sharding for uh, the memories there. <laughs> pretty great phrase and pretty important for the Ethereum ecosystem. It's going to enable large scaling, about 10x more transaction data on top of the network through a pretty novel way of sampling how many transactions are going through the chain and verifying those transactions are actually occurring and that they're being stored correctly and that there's nothing evil or malfeasance going on. Uh, but on top of this, the most important thing I think for the network and for people is getting their ETH out of the system that they had staked for the better part of two plus years. Uh, people want to get their ETH back. They want to trade it. They want to earn a little bit of the rewards that they've had for the last few years. And they also probably want to sell into USD the ETH that they staked. If you staked ETH back in 2020, well, you probably have like a 2x gain in USD terms on top of that ETH. So I think a lot of people want to get out and then flip back into USD and earn that profit. Uh, it's also just important for the network as well. This is the next step for proof of stake is enabling withdrawals. You shouldn't just be able to put money into it and have it sit there and earn rewards. You need to be able to pull it out. Otherwise, the whole system doesn't work. So this is a pretty big upgrade. Again, we don't know when it's going to happen, but the fact that they're moving on it is notable and important. They got the merge done so they can get this done is my takeaway. Wendy, over to you. A couple of things I want to add. Again, I'm not the most tech savvy person. And if you're listening to this or watching, you don't have to be the most tech savvy person either to participate in crypto. So some interesting things here. The merge was actually pretty seamless. From somebody that doesn't know anything about tech, it was nice to see how seamless it was. There wasn't any hiccups. There wasn't any problems. So that's good for mass adoption. That's good for people who are interested in crypto and feel like, oh my God, I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm not smart enough to participate. So this is a positive thing. The next thing I want to say is if you're somebody who is invested in Ethereum, 
I would pay very close attention and follow the story until it actually gets executed. Why? Because this is going to impact the fundamentals. If people are actually able to withdraw rewards, there is a possibility they may be taking profit that could impact the price of Ethereum. Will it move the market? I have no idea because I don't know how much is locked up. Another important thing is the people that have staked Ethereum for quite some time, they're probably very much so itching to remove that Ethereum and put it on cold storage if they plan on holding it. Why do I know this? I pay very close attention to my mentions on YouTube and on TikTok. And a lot of people are like, oh my God, I staked my Ethereum. You know, when Terra Luna was collapsing with all that volatility was happening, people are like, oh my God, I need to take it and put it on cold storage, but I can't do that. So I think we're going to see a lot of people removing and putting it on cold storage or taking profit. So again, if you're invested, I recommend, not financial advice, to pay attention to that date because it could impact your long-term investments. I dig it. I dig it. Adam, any closing thoughts on that? No, I think that's good advice. I think, again, like, you know, this isn't that interesting a story. It's just important because Ethereum is important. And so anything that happens to Ethereum winds up being important again in our world. And again, like in the contrast between the top two tokens, you've got Bitcoin over here where development moves very slowly. It's very much about just making sure that nothing is ever going to break. And as Wendy said, it was impressive to see the merge go through because that was a massive change on the scale that I don't think we've ever really seen before on a top, on a top like, uh, you know, valued uh, blockchain, uh, you know, changing the fundamental engine of the thing in ways that were very controversial uh, and where it was very unclear. The next thing that I am really looking for in terms of like something that's important and something that's also risky is this proto dank sharding, which I just had to say. Um, proto dank sharding, again, the idea of sharding is really the idea of taking what is a unified ledger, a unified list of all transactions that happen and splitting it into multiple pieces so that the whole network doesn't have to be aware of everything that's happening. And that is on the one side, totally necessary in order to really scale these things to millions and millions of users at, at you know, one time. And on the other hand, it's another thing that nobody's really done before at scale well, uh, you know, and, and we just don't know what's going to happen. So it's super important. There's also a ton of risk around it. They should not rush it. And it seems like they're not likely to rush it. And I really, again, like, you know, I'm more impressed with Ethereum development as time goes on because they seem to be doing this stuff in kind of maybe not like the safest way that, that you could in a hypothetical situation, but in the real world, I think this is pretty, pretty much as close as you get. So I'm happy to see it. So here's a big question. What's the most important thing about crypto? It's not transactions per second, it's not convenience, and it's not even smart contracts. It's decentralization to achieve censorship resistance so we can all be free. Minima is a new layer one blockchain designed to run in full on a smartphone so that anyone can participate in building Minima's decentralized network as an equal. Join over 300,000 Minima node runners on the incentive program today to start earning Minima every day until mainnet launch. Get started at Minima.global. This episode is brought to you by Circle, the sole issuer of USDC and a leader in crypto that's held to a higher standard. USDC is a fast, safe, and efficient way to send money around the globe. USDC is always redeemable one-to-one -one for US dollars and has over $45 billion in circulation as of October 13th, 2022. Plus, Circle posts weekly reserve reports and monthly attestations of reserve capital, letting users know that USDC is safe, transparent, and compliant with regulations. Just go to circle.com backslash transparency to see why USDC is a trusted stablecoin. 
as we're talking about Ethereum and Vitalik, we have to, of course, talk about Elon Musk because it looks like Vitalik had something to say to Elon. So it was breaking news yesterday that Elon said Twitter will charge users $8 for those who want a blue verification tick by their name. I have a blue check mark and I'm more than happy to pay the $8 so I don't have any impersonators because they actually do a lot of harm to my audience. But a little bit that we need to talk about this tweet. So Musk criticized the old method as lords and peasants system. The method is a kind of important because it was introduced in 2009 after Twitter faced a lawsuit accusing it of not doing enough to prevent impersonators. And we're seeing today, I got a large following. I have so many impersonators. It is insane. But basically, paid users would have priority in replies and searches and half as many ads. So I don't mind paying $8 for a better user experience. But of course, we had Vitalik that had to chime in. And then we also had CZ from Binance. Vitalik commented on the blue check system, saying that paying $8 and calling yourself whatever would damage the blue check anti-scam role. I disagree with him. And then CZ chimed in next when we also know that he did or that Binance did apparently invest approximately $500 million in Twitter under Elon Musk. CZ suggested Binance pay as a solution to crypto payments on Twitter. He said Binance wants to be supportive on anything that is to do with crypto or Web3 relating to Twitter. And we have all the tech, we know have the know-how, we know the products, so we're ready to help. And again, for clarity per the article, CZ hasn't met Musk yet. And I did comment under the thread of Elon Musk and say, will you be accepting Dogecoin? Because I kind of feel like Elon is going to troll and he's possibly <laughs> going to do it. Since Adam is laughing, I want to get your take on this whole fiasco. Well, it's not a fiasco, but this whole interesting story, because there's a lot of parts to it. Yeah, no, I uh, I can I, I agree with most of your take, Wendy. I, I continue to you know think that the thing that Musk is doing with Twitter it can only make the platform better. The platform has degraded substantially over the last half dozen years. Uh, it's become very very politicized in ways that are very one sided, and frankly, it's become a dangerous place to be. Not because necessarily people are dangerous on it in a way that's different from what they were before, but because it's dangerous to have opinions that go against the orthodoxy and they go against sort of you know, whatever the current narrative is, which we've seen over and over again over the last, you know, couple of years is typically wrong. And we find out in hindsight that a lot of times the conspiracy theorists are actually the people who just had a better understanding of the data and didn't just trust the pronouncements from people who are trying to make themselves look good. As far as Vitalik's comment is concerned, I think, again, like, uh, it's, it's nice to be in the rarefied air of someone who is globally recognized as being an innovator uh, you know, in the way that Vitalik is, he gets a lot of respect. And so for him, he kind of sees the, the the downsides about a change to the system, but doesn't appreciate the weaknesses of the system today. I've been a journalist in disruptive technology for more than 10 years at this point, and I can't get verified. You know, I just submitted again, uh, you know, for the daily show that I do, which has been top three on tech news, uh, you know, for months and months at a time. Currently, I think we're number 12 or 13, um, you know, on the Apple system right now with the Markets Daily Show that I do. And, you know, I fulfill all of the different criteria to be qualified as a journalist. I submitted all of the things. I've done this multiple times and you get a nice rejection. So I would very much like to pay $8 per month to actually be able to, I don't care about the blue check, but I'd very much like people to be able to understand who I am. I spend a lot of time removing spam and just like removing things where people have tagged me on. And that becomes an insurmountable task at a certain point. So again, like, the system as it stands right now, I completely agree with Musk's assessment. It's very much a lords and peasants type thing, where if you know somebody at the company, you know, or you're very, very well known, well, then it's, you know, it's kind of like a Wikipedia page, right? You can be notable, but still the editors on Wikipedia might not consider you or the project or whatever notable. 
And it becomes this kind of arbitrary power game. One other note is that although Twitter verified blue checks are something where you go through a verification process, you can change your name on an account. You know, that's it doesn't change your status. So people sometimes will find themselves with accounts and then they will change their name to impersonate someone else so that they then look like that other person. And again, like it, it's just it's a it's a stupid game that's been played in a stupid way for a long time. And anything that makes it less dumb, I will be very, very happy about. Back to you, Wendy. Um, the only thing I want to say is that if you ch- actually change your handle, that will remove the check mark from oh, what okay. I've read on the terms of services. And it, it, it took me a really, really long time to get verified. It was an absolute pain, but I was able to do it. And I'm excited that other people are going to be verified. It's important. And hopefully it will reduce the spam on that platform. Because like you said, I spend... So I have a team member that he spends time going through the mentions and blocking people. It literally takes us hours to do it every day. And I get, I would be getting an average of 20 to 71 spam posts per post I make. Will, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I'm going to be sad if things change. I kind of like the pleb uh, method of doing <laughs> things, right? I kind of like being a pleb. I kind of like being in that the frothy middle with everyone else. And then Wendy, you're above us, right? I think that's kind of fun. I do think that this $8 integration doesn't tackle all the problems they need, right? Just because you can pay $8 a month to get verified, that doesn't solve a civil problem where yeah, I can change my name to be someone else. It doesn't necessarily also change the bot problem, right? Like, I think you would need almost everybody to KYC and pay money to get rid of the bot problem. The bot problem is that people can spin up as many accounts as they want, and then one central account is controlling all those bots posting a bunch of random stuff, which is what you see under every single thing that has hashtag Bitcoin or hashtag MetaMask. That's what you see. And they can only change that if they implement some sort of civil resistance with like KYC, forcing everyone to make a small payment. That's maybe where crypto could come in handy here. But frankly, I don't know if there's any integrations yet that quite are large enough for Twitter. Twitter has well over 300 million users. That's a lot of people to go KYC through. That's a lot of people to get a dollar from, let alone $8 from. And I don't know if there's really any crypto payments that would be able to handle this right now. CZ in that article uh, that we just looked at did say that Binance Pay would be able to integrate with Twitter and help out. But I think that comes off as more of a shill for a product than something that's necessarily ready to bootstrap it. I mean, we don't quite have something that everyone is on top of. About 17% of Americans hold Bitcoin according to surveys from last year, that's uh, not that many people uh, and when, in comparison to people who have a Twitter account in the United States. So I'm, I'm waiting for more solutions and I'm not quite seeing them with this ad payment feature. Then again, it would be nice to get a checkmark, I suppose. Adam, give it back to you for final thoughts. Yeah, I mean, two things here. One, as far as like uh, stuff making the experience better, I do think that that adding more value through something like the ability to verify that you actually are who you say that you are and are, are representing yourself to be will, uh, you know, and making that something that's available just broadly to anyone who thinks that it's important for them uh, because they're taking their presence seriously there. You know, they're actually representing themselves rather than just having a bot or a meme account. I think that that does wind up being important because I think this is the basis for creating filtered versions of the system where you can have effectively just the people who have been proactively verified Uh, effectively talk to each other. And it's not to say that other people won't be allowed to be on the platform or you won't be able to see them, but it's to say that you'll have the choice. And I think that that choice will wind up being important for people like Wendy, who again, like spend a lot of time, you know, with team members and spend money there for like $8 to be able to filter, you know, that stuff out, like that's really valuable. And so if this is the basis of that system, then I think it's really important. uh, Just pivoting briefly to the CZ thing, 
So yes, obviously it's a shill. Yes, obviously the reason why he's, uh, you know, they've chosen to invest is because it's good for business. It gets them in the news on something that's very kind of visible. And again, these these folks who are at the top of these uh, crypto companies are very good at figuring out how to leverage money in order to do that. The one question that I have, and just in terms of the practicality of integrating something like Binance Pay versus it just being kind of like a, a kind of one-off mention saying, hey, here's the thing, uh, you know, is... Binance is not a company that actually operates in the United States. And Twitter is very much a United States-based company. So to the extent that they could, they would integrate something like that, it seems much more likely to me that they'll partner with a company like Coinbase or something like that that is going to be on the right side of the law in the United States and can deal with U.S. clients uh, versus a company like Binance, where again, like I personally was kicked off of Binance because I'm a U.S. person. So that seems like that's a little bit of a of a incongruity versus the kind of statement made there, and makes me question a little bit what the motivation is. Wendy, I'll go to you for last thoughts. I do. I kind of have to counter that a bit, and the reason why is because we do have Binance US, and mm-hmm. they sure. they are kind of like they're not. I know they're kind of like a subsidiary of Binance. Like I've never really been able to understand how that works, but I think that they could potentially do that through Binance US. But as far as the new system goes, like again, I don't mind paying the eight dollars. I actually bought Twitter Blue yesterday. It's been a really great experience. I'm able to like archive my bookmarks, you know, look at different top trending news. But I think that what's going to end up happening is they're going to have to KYC everybody in order for that to happen. And the people that mm-hmm. do pay for, for Twitter Blue, they will probably have the option to only see um, comments from people that are on Twitter Blue or only have them show up on their feed, which will actually help the bot problem, in my opinion, because you can have these accounts that are bots that are trying to bot. And if we have our settings set to that, we won't be able to see it. So that would make my job easier and it would actually save me hundreds of dollars and my team's time instead of having to go through all of that stuff. So at this point, I am willing to accept any type of change to help with the bot program because <laughs> they're scary. They they post scam links. And if you click on that stuff, you can get your entire crypto wallet like packed yeah. or Lord knows SIM swap. So I'm here for whatever. And Shout out to CZ. Also, guys, I do own BNB. Full disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, you know, it's another day in the hash, and we're talking about Twitter once again. That's not very surprising. Uh, I'm Will Foxley. That is Wendy O and Adam B. Levine. Thanks for joining us today, Wednesday afternoon. If you enjoyed the show, check us out on the podcast network. Guess the hash for your ears. We are there. From all of us at Coindesk, thanks for watching today. We'll catch you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 